Survivor chronicles the lives of 18 strangers stranded together in the middle of nowhere, forced to build and destroy their own new world. Over the course of several weeks, these island-dwelling men and women are locked in a physically and mentally exhausting battle to outwit, outplay, and outlast each other, voting each other out every three days at the terrible temple known as Tribal Council. After 39 days, one of these castaways will walk away as the sole survivor, in possession of the million-dollar prize that goes along with the coveted title. After only three days, one survivor will walk away from years of dreaming about this journey. Months and months of surviving a grueling casting process. Weeks and weeks of preparation for the game. Days and days on lockdown. And the guarantee of more than a month away from everything and everyone they know and love, no matter how early they lose their life in the game. All for only three days of actual playtime. This podcast is the story of finding this season's first sacrifice to the fearsome survivor gods. This is First One Out. Survivor, Season 35, Day Zero, Dawn. The reality that Survivor is happening imminently is finally washing over Dr. Mike Zahalski as we speak around six in the morning, the sun just scraping its way into the sky. Mike, a urologist and a longtime fan of the show, sits with me in my jungle cubicle, his eyes darting back and forth behind a pair of thick-rimmed glasses as he examines headshots of the 17 other castaways, putting his first impressions of the competition on the record. We arrive at Ben Driebergen, the man with the tattoos, as Mike describes him. Mike believes Ben is the biggest threat in the game, but he also believes Ben's overly social behavior could backfire. Mike's thoughts on the Marine lead him to a fairly epic rant about what it's going to take to win this game. I have a motto to winning Survivor. What yeah. is it? So my mantra is, first, always lead with kindness. You know you're going to vote these people off, but... Be nice to them in the morning. Say hello. Second, always remember the word wait. Why am I talking? This man does not remember that word. And so when things come out of his mouth, already in listening to him, sometimes they're vulgar, right? And that's funny, and I don't care, but I think some of the girls are going to care. At the same time, you know, I know this because, and I know that I have to be sensitive to that one because my wife says I have verbal diarrhea. Third is... I know, I'm a physician, I know I have, like, I do medical research, I know I have the highest ethical and moral code out there, but in Survivor, you have to have justifiable ethics, justifiable morals. You can't always tell the truth, you can't always necessarily do the right thing, but you also have to be able to justify what you do and know that there are some lines that you can never cross, like people that are bullies or people that are, like, just mean for the sake of being mean. Right? Those people, no matter whose alliance they're on, need to be eliminated immediately. Because at the end of the day, Survivor is a microcosm of civilization. And in civilization, behavior like that can't be tolerated, even if it's the democratic favor, so to speak. Just because more people vote to do the wrong thing doesn't mean that you do it when it's the wrong thing. And last and above all else, win. We're here to win. I'm going to win. 
Fast forward to day two. Mike stands in the middle of Healer's Beach, an incredibly cramped and shaded space, covered in tree canopy. His eyes dart back and forth once again, but this time, he's not looking at photos of his competitors. He's looking at the genuine article, and the genuine article is looking back. Rock climber Cole Metters stands a good half-human taller than the good Dr. Mike, the two of them analyzing some curious something or other in the middle of camp. For his part, Cole already has notes of his own about the significantly smaller healer. At casting finals, he was the only one with a notebook that said uh, outwit, outplay, outlast on it. And he was wearing a suit and like a nice watch. And I feel like he's the super fan who's finally gotten his chance to come on the show and shine. Mike is not the only super fan on the yellow buffed healers tribe, also known as Soko. Close by, social worker and survivor lover Rourke Luskin sits on the ground, weaving palm fronds for the developing shelter. There's no tracking time on Healer's Beach, short of the sun rising and falling above the heavily forested campsite, even if the chopping and the smashing associated with building the tribe's shelter occasionally imitates the tick-tock of a bamboo clock. Rourke looks up from her palm fronds and over at Mike, someone she sees as a man lost in time. He's, he's the one who's constantly asking for time, and I'm like, you've got to chill. And he, um, all of us are kind of writing in notebooks just for me. I'm just recording the experience. I just kind of want to remember who I spoke to, what happened, the air, whatever. I just want yeah. to remember all of it. And he's writing, when will the game start? Like, when will we play? And I'm like, dude, just chill. And so I have a feeling he's going to come in so hot. He's going to come in so hot. And I'm, I'm a little worried for him. And so, yeah, I could... I could I could see him being somebody I would want to trim early. Mike moves from the center of camp to sit down next to Rourke and join in the process of weaving fronds, if not making friends. The two are bonded by their shared love of Survivor and their mutual quest to heal people in the real world. Out in this world, Mike is just as cautious of Rourke as she is of him. She's eager to please and get along with everybody. A little insecure, I think. Just... I think in the way she sits on the boats, in the way she uh, talks to other people, like, you know, interacts with people. She's not bold in her movements. A third person weaves fronds with Mike and Rourke. Desi Williams, a physical therapist, an occasional professor, and a former beauty pageant competitor. She's not sitting directly between Mike and Rourke, which is a shame, because it would have made it for a nice visual metaphor for how the two nearby healers view Desi. I want to befriend her so badly. Um, she seems great. Um, I get like a really good energy from her. Um, I would, if like, if she's cool, once we start talking, like I would love her to be like a ride or die. Like I can, like, let's do this type person. Besides the guy we just talked about with all the tattoos, I think she is the biggest threat. She's the one that I want to be my partner because she's awesome. You can just tell she's awesome. She exudes awesomeness. Desi isn't the only healer who stands accused of exuding awesomeness. Once again, there's Cole, the man who hulks over everyone and virtually everything on Healer's Beach. As Cole wields his machete and cleaves pieces of bamboo the way most people would cut through a warm stick of butter, the wilderness therapy guide and passionate rock climber looks as though he spent so much time in the mountains that he has become the mountain. I think he's clearly a rock climber. 
he seems nice enough. Also, I, I mean, I can't get a really good read on him. He's obviously extremely attractive. It, his body, I've never seen. Like, he is so cut. It, like, stresses me out. It's also stressful for the man currently chopping bamboo beside Cole, Joe Mina, a probation officer who originally hails from the Bronx. Watching them work together on the shelter, I'm reminded of what Joe said about Cole just a few days earlier. He's definitely a jock. He has eight, literally he has an eight pack. Have you seen an eight pack? I've never seen an eight pack. Because I've never seen an eight pack myself. Like, un, you know, after the right diet and the right lighting and a good tan, I got a six pack. You know, I'm good with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But an eight pack and he drinks soda like there's no tomorrow. I mean, the dude drinks aspartame on a regular basis. Like orange soda every day, every morning at Ponderosa. And so I'm like, I don't know how he does it, but it must be his youth. Similarly, Joe wonders about the Jews coursing through Desi's veins, as she is inarguably the most physically fit human being on Healer's Beach, short of Cole. Just like Mike and Rourke, Joe is taken with Desi. Unlike Mike and Rourke, Joe is trying to fight those instincts. She's like almost like my public enemy number one right there. Like I got my eyes on her. So I'm going to try to keep her real close to my pocket because I think she's dangerous, definitely. Cole drifts away from Joe and once again meets Mike in the middle of the camp, the two of them inspecting another of Mike's discoveries. Joe is left to cut through bamboo on his lonesome, wielding a machete with the same arm that hosts a tattoo of an infant. It's not as impressive as Cole's work with the bamboo, but to his credit, Joe gets the job done. I have no idea about him. He's always by himself. Uh, he's a pretty big guy. He's the guy with the tattoo of, his, of a baby on his shoulder. Okay. He seems like... You know, there are some rule followers and there are some that aren't. He's a rule follower, right? He, I had not heard him speak a word until yesterday. And he, but I think he's going to be surprisingly more ferocious than people think. I'm wondering what his motivation is to be out here. He's got this tattoo on his arm of a young boy and kind of the boy's name is Jaden apparently because it says Jaden on it. Um, so I, I wonder if that's part of his motivation and if I can make that emotional connection early on hopefully if i need him that'll help as well um okay so i'm assuming he has a child um he has a tattoo with a child's face on it and it says Jaden. i'm assuming he's a father um when i've heard him talk he reminds me of tony in a way maybe it's just because he's bald um but um i i just want to keep my eye on him because i've i've sort of mentally assigned that analog not to broad brush the bald but Rourke isn't far off when she compares Joe to Tony Vlacos, the legendary survivor schemer who won season 28. Entering the game, Joe views Survivor the same way Tony viewed it, as a no-holds-barred battle for a million dollars, a goal that must be accomplished using all means necessary. And sometimes, that means being mean, much to Dr. Mike's chagrin. I love the people watch. That's my thing, obviously. Um, I enjoy it. Sign me up for it. Love it. Love talking shit about people. The more shit I talk about you, probably the more I like you. The probation officer. The rock climber. The physical therapist. The social worker. The doctor. And one more. The nurse. Jessica Johnston is nowhere in sight as these five healers work together on their shelter, sharpening knives against bamboo, sizing each other up. Jessica is away on a walk which is survivor jargon for being in the middle of an interview far away from camp. One can hazard a guess as to what the others think of the nurse practitioner, even in her absence. I like her. She's, um, she's fit. She's built like a tank. Um, she's religious. She's always reading the Bible and stuff like that. Um, she's cool. You know, I, she hasn't really done anything. 
I, I don't have any real good read on her. Her movements are a little guarded um, and maybe that's just her not wanting to show any of her strengths but I, I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, she has been kind of closed off. Every now and then if I try hard enough I can get her to smile or laugh at something. I think she's extremely cute and that might be another showman's contender uh, if it goes my way. I mean if you told me she was Miss Kentucky I would believe you, right? She's beautiful, she's charming, she's flirtatious, She's everything you would expect her to be on Survivor. No matter how quickly his eyes dart across the camp, Dr. Mike won't find Miss Kentucky anywhere. Perhaps she's talking about Mike right now, in the middle of her confessional. Two days earlier, she was talking to me about the same man Mike views as the biggest threat in this game, the Heroes Tribe's Ben Drebergen. Even though she's away from camp when I'm around to visit Healer's Beach on day two, what Jessica said to me about Ben might be more instructive about how she plans to cut through the next 39 days than any observation I could bring to the table. Mm, let me tell you about him. I, If anyone's going to play like a villain, I think it's going to be him. Okay. Yeah, so he has tattoos on every extremity, and on his wrist, I haven't stalked him enough to get this, but it has like an angel versus demon or angel and demon. So listen, I have to figure out what side of the fence is he playing on. Like, are we on the dark side or are we on the light side? I'm playing on the light. And I would hope to align myself with someone who is going to be a little rough, you know? So you would like to be the angel and you'd like to find a demon? I think every demon needs an angel. For The Hollywood Reporter, in collaboration with Rob Has a Podcast, I'm Josh Wiggler. And one of these six healers just might be the first one out. Chapter 3, Heel Turn. Good news! No need for an overly long history lesson on the healers of Survivor lore. I mean, we could talk about the fact that several doctors and the like have competed on Survivor in the past, including Candace Cody, formerly Candace Woodcock, a first one out of sorts on her third season, Survivor Blood vs. Water. We could talk about the first ones out who were eliminated due to injuries they sustained, including retired fire captain Jim Lynch from Survivor Guatemala, who tore his bicep in his season's first immunity challenge and was promptly voted out or even Courtney Moon from Survivor One World, who fractured her hand during her season's first immunity challenge and didn't even need to be voted out to go home first. We could even talk again about the very first one out ever, Sonia Christopher, who signed up for Survivor back in 2000 after winning a battle against cancer and feeling healed enough to pursue a new adventure. I was recovering from uh, breast cancer treatment and uh, had lost a relationship in the process and had moved to uh, a senior, re more retirement community, and uh, my son was grown, and uh, so I thought, well, maybe I'll look into this. In short, I would welcome the opportunity to be your ultimate survivor. I wouldn't be doing it just for me. I already am a survivor, but I'd be doing it for the millions of other seniors out there looking for new images of aging and for the people fighting and surviving cancer. I sure wouldn't want to let them down. See you on Pulau Tiga. Okay, no more history lessons, at least not right now. Past survivor healers aside, this is the first straight-up healers tribe, a group brought together based on the fact that in their professional lives, these men and women are dedicated to healing others. Out here on Survivor, not so much. 
According to Jeff Probst, Season 35's theme only came into focus when he and his colleagues arrived at the word healers, making these men and women the turnkey contestants of sorts this season. Here's how Jeff describes the group. How fun to have a group of people who their whole lives have received gratitude, but they receive it because they literally put other people first. They're gonna dedicate their life to helping you heal a wound, physical wound, an emotional wound. That's a very special type of person and not one that you would at first glance think would wanna play a devilish game like Survivor where you have to injure people emotionally sometimes and deceive them while looking in their face and saying, I love you, you can trust me. While, they're, while your alliance partner's sharpening the blade. So, I, and I like this group because they are all true givers and healers. And yet, as we talked with them, they're all fans and they all to a person said, oh, I'm fully able to separate. I know I'm a good person back home and I will definitely blindside you out here. That's where the game's at, Josh. That's how it should be played. This isn't personal, it's a game. In today's episode, we're digging deep into the six men and women on the Healers Tribe, once again in first-name alphabetical order. Cole Metters, Desi Williams, Jessica Johnston, Joe Mina, Mike Zahalski, and Rourke Luskin. Once again, two truths and a lie is in play. And once again, I really suck at that game. I'm really sorry. Let's begin with Cole, an appropriate place to start since he was my very first interview of all the Heroes, Healers, and Hustlers. Heck of a way to kick things off, because really, this is a man who will make even the most athletic of us feel incredibly weak, let alone someone like me who watches TV and couch potato quarterbacks for a living. Cole Metters is a tone setter, not to mention incredibly toned. Ryan Ulrich of the Hustlers Tribe, the least physical looking guy of the season by his own admission, is a great person to bring in here as a testament to what it's like to gaze upon Cole, aka Mount Metters. I don't look like I should be on Survivor. I look like I should be in like an air-conditioned room or like getting ready for spelling bee or doing something indoors. So I think, you know, it, it's going to work to my advantage though. You have a lot of guys here who are like, the, one guy has toe muscles, Wiggler, toe muscles. I've never, I've never seen I those I didn't even before. know that that was a thing. Well, did, yeah, I didn't know muscles were a thing and he's got them <laughs> on his toes. And I, he must be a rock climber or something. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's got the, uh, he's got the toes of only men can dream of. And I'm sure we will have a very good laugh when I feel like, I was talking about your toes, man. You gotta, you know, cut back on that a little bit. What are you compensating for? In my experience, Cole wasn't compensating for much. He struck me as a level-headed, good-hearted guy who really likes hanging out outside, often literally hanging from rocks. He also likes helping people, which he does through his work as a wilderness therapy guide, a job that he feels gives him an advantage going into the game. If you're confused on what exactly a wilderness therapy guide is, Cole will shed some light on the subject. First, here's Probst with his assessment of the rock climber, and then we'll hear from Cole himself. Cole, hard not to like Cole. I think he's going to be a favorite. Uh, I think kids will really like him because he is that kind of older kid that you'd want to hang out with on the weekend or you would love if he were your big brother. And it's pretty cool that he's decided to take his love of the outdoors and turn it into something positive by helping at-risk kids maybe find inspiration or another path to life or a way to forgive themselves and move forward and at 24 i think he's 24 that's pretty mature a point of view and 
you know, he's got this big grin and when he, he's a good looking kid and when he talks, it's, you kind of find yourself going, man, you, you got, a, you got a lot of good qualities. I'm feeling super stoked. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. It's like the culmination of so many things coming together. It's like, I'm a big outdoor adventure enthusiast. So this is like the adventure to come on. Yeah. yeah. Is that why you wanted to come on Survivor? Uh, part of it. Most of my adventures are like pushing myself really physically, like in the mountains and rock climbing. Uh, but this is going to be more of a, like a social push, like testing my skills strategically and seeing how I can play with people instead of like a rock. Cool. Uh, well, let's test that out. Uh, would you like to play a game with me? Yeah, I'd love to play a game. Uh, two truths and a lie. I'm sure you know the rules. <laughs> uh, do you not know the rules? I do know the rules. Okay. Okay, so I once spent three nights sleeping on a portable ledge hanging off the edge of a cliff in whiteout blizzard conditions. Okay. Um, and then next, I once killed a five-foot shark while sea kayaking the beaches of Baja with a spear. Okay. <laughs> and third is that I ran a 100-mile ultramarathon and about halfway through, I had to take shelter like under a rock outcropping because it was literally striking lightning like all around me. Wow, yeah. all right. So no matter what, you're a badass is what we're establishing here. <laughs> so, okay, so the first one, that feels difficult. You're, you're sleeping on a ledge. Yeah, it's a portable ledge. So there's rock climbs that are so tall that you, ha you can't make it up in one day. Okay. So you gotta sleep on this little thing that you hang from a rope. Okay. And you're just suspended in midair. Interesting, all right. And then the shark, tell me about killing the shark. What did that feel like? The shark made me feel like a, a true animal, and it was intense. We had been sea kayaking Baja for like a month at this point, and we were just living off land fishing. So I was like, this is the ultimate fish to eat at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third one. So you were, you were running. You had to seek shelter. Right. Uh, at this point, my hair like, was literally standing up on my, on my arms and my head because of all the static in the air because it was so electrified from these like hundreds of lightning bolts is raining down on this mountain. So it was a very scary moment. Okay, so here's where I'm at. I've got no idea, um, <laughs> which is really good for you. Uh, I think that uh, I'm gonna go with round three. I'm gonna go with number three. Am I, am I right, am I wrong? You are unfortunately wrong. Okay, cool. So this is good because I would imagine that whichever one is the lie is rooted in some truth. Is right. that correct? Most definitely. Okay, so which one's the lie? So the lie is killing the shark okay. in Baja. Okay. I did spend an extended period of time sea kayaking Baja and living off the land, but I never killed a shark okay. of any length. Okay. Would you kill a shark if you could? Oh, I would totally kill yeah. a shark. How cool would that be? Like, have it on your shoulders, just like, look what I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So in terms of lying then, this is a game that tests that ability, that tests the ability to look somebody in the eye and tell them an elaborate story that is just patently false sometimes. You feel pretty comfortable with that. I feel very comfortable with that. I feel very comfortable picking out someone's lie because of the line of work that I'm in, which is wilderness therapy, where you have like these kids you're trying to treat manipulating you all the time and yeah. you have to call them out on their crap constantly. Yeah, uh, I actually have your bio in front of me. I was hoping that that was going to give me an edge in this game because Survivor's not fair. <laughs> uh, so we'll go through your bio a little bit. It gave me no edge, so this is, this is good news for you, man. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, your relationship with Survivor and coming out here. When did you start watching? When did you know this was something you wanted to do? 
So I first saw Survivor, I think it was either season one or two. My parents said, oh, there's a cool new show coming on. We should all watch it as a family. And so we sat down and watched it. And of course, at that age, when I think I was maybe like seven or eight at this time, maybe like maybe 10, I can't remember exactly. But the things that stuck out to me the most were like these awesome challenges in this exotic place. And then, of course, as I got into the outdoors, I didn't watch as much TV, but then I came back to it. And then I saw the social dynamics in it and how vicious that was and how many layers there were. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. Like, I would love to compete on this because this is something I've never done before and I'm all about a new experience. Yeah. So then it was at that point that I was like, I want to be on the show. Nice. Um, you're a wilderness therapy guide. What does that mean? What does a wilderness therapy guide do? So wilderness therapy uses the wilderness and the outdoors to treat a variety of disorders or hardships or disabilities. Um, specifically, I was working with teens and youth who had been through a very difficult time in their lives and that difficulty had has basically caused them to stop developing and they could no longer cope with the real world and so they come into the outdoors for up to 200 days sometimes straight like they don't ever come out they're out there living in the back country and wild and dirt for 200 days and they live prim learn primitive skills like uh, making fire from scratch using just wood and uh, building shelters and cooking on like a fire and, th and that kind of thing so uh, what drew you to that? I mean, obviously the outdoors, you're a big fan, you love it out there, but in terms of using that to help people, why was that something that you wanted to do? Right, so mountaineering and rock climbing, in a way, it's a very selfish pursuit. It doesn't accomplish anything for the world. It just basically gives me my good feelings and it's like I, my goals and my accomplishments. So in order for me to give back, I wanted to ignite that love for the outdoors in like a younger generation. And for me, wilderness therapy has done that. It's my chance to give back to like the outdoors that shape me and also like make someone else's life better. Yeah, so you you do this, you're helping people. You know, you're, you're trying to get them to find themselves. You're trying to get them to find some peace. This is not a place where you're trying to get other people to, to, to find peace. You're not trying to have other people be happy about themselves so much as you're trying to have people help you get to the end of the game. How do you think that this job that you're in is gonna to translate to the game of Survivor. So my job and my pursuits for play, I am always in a very difficult situation and I know how to handle that. And I know how to give therapy to someone who's also in that difficult situation. So my ability to help someone is actually gonna be an advantage because people are gonna to look to me and come to me for that emotional support and help in a situation that I've been in. And this sounds bad, but I can use that to have leverage over them and maybe manipulate them and twist them emotionally if I need to. Uh, that's not naturally my nature and I'm not normally a person to take advantage of someone But this is a game for a million dollars and I'm willing to take my strengths and attributes and use them in a way that I would not normally use Yeah, so do you feel like you're the kind of person though that could get caught up in like being invested in somebody If you really feel like there's somebody out there who's a little bit weaker and you are helping them out a little bit uh, and then that person pulls a vote that doesn't include you and it goes against your best interests. Do you see yourself being able to be caught in a situation like that, caught in a trap like that? I would definitely consider that a possibility. Yeah. I, I do have a big heart and I really do like looking out for people that I see that will be struggling. And as much as I want to use that as a strength, it might come back and get me in the end. Yeah. Uh, your three words to describe you, unreserved, dauntless, and flirtatious. You gonna be flirting out here? I'm definitely gonna be flirting. I've Anyone back seen... home who's gonna be upset? No. Okay. No one back home who's gonna be upset. Uh, that's the one downside to always being on the move and everything. There's not a lot of time for romance, but I'm gonna be in one place on the island for a bit, so 
Who knows? Are you down to do like legitimate romance out here or would it be something for your game? I think it would be for the game. Um, but you did say you have a big heart. A show, I do have a big heart. A showmance is not what I think would be best for my game, but if it happens, I'm just gonna embrace it. Yeah, so, well, does that kind of speak to your, your approach to the game that you're kind of, you know, you're somebody who lives your life pretty freely. You live your, your life in the outdoors. Are you somebody that kind of goes with the moment? Right. For me, Survivor is not necessarily just about the money. Um, it would obviously be great. It could buy me so much new climbing gear and a bigger van to live out of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How's your van now? It's at least sizable enough to like, I mean, you're a pretty tall guy. It fits. Yeah. I can fit. It's just like kind of like it scrunching up into a corner. <laughs> Being able to fit two people would be ideal. But for me, it's uh, it'll do right now. But Survivor is definitely more about the experience for me. Yeah. I want to get as much as I can out of it. And if that means like, meeting someone that's incredible and maybe not going all the way to the end, but it still changes my life, then I'm okay with that. Uh, this I love. All right, so Survivor contestant you are most like. You say Spencer from season 28. All due respect to Spencer, who I love deeply. You're a lot more of a physical presence than Spencer. So I would not have picked you as saying Spencer is the person you're most like. Talk to me about that a little bit. I guess I don't see myself as this like big physical threat. I've always kind of seen myself growing up as like I've been really into like kind of like the dorky nerdy stuff and that's really played in I guess I've kind of grown into a more physical body and taken on the sport climbing but were you a smaller kid yeah I was I was smaller until probably like junior senior year in high school okay. when I kind of started growing in but I've still kind of been awkward since then not yeah. really realizing like oh I might actually be attractive or like sure a big guy and so I just really related with his gameplay and he was very smart and into it socially and understood the dynamics of the game and that's why I want to play is a very like inept player how far have you seen? What was the last episode of the show that you watched? Uh, so they just showed us an episode that hadn't even aired yet of season, I think it's 34 right now. So, uh, and in the episode before that, there was a twist where the two losing teams for immunity had to both go to tribal council and all vote out for just one person, which is crazy. That's never happened before. And the look on their faces were just said it all. How did that make you feel? I mean, like you said, that was unprecedented. That has never happened in Survivor history before. Was that exhilarating? Was it scary? Was it like a peek into the future of whatever madness you're about to get into? I was like, oh shoot, and here I am like planning my game down to like as much as I can and then something like that happens, it's just gonna destroy like everything that I've planned on. But I guess you can never really have a secure plan in Survivor and yeah. if you do, then you're probably the next one going out. Luck is a big factor. You know, I think it's an underrated skill here in Survivor. I think, you know, things have to break a certain way often. Are you prepared for that? Like, if you doesn't matter how carefully you've planned something, that something, one, one piece is just now suddenly off the board due to unfortunate circumstances. Can you rebound from that pretty quick? I think I can definitely rebound from that pretty quick. And like rock climbing, we like drop a piece of gear a thousand feet off the ground and you just gotta be like, well, okay. We don't have an option, no going back down now, we just gotta go to the top. Yeah. And so it's all about adapting and meeting the situation as it is. Yeah. Up next for the Healers Tribe, Desiree Williams, AKA Desi for short, which was a name preference I only learned about after this interview took place. So sorry about that, Desi. Desi's a physical therapist, among other occupations, including working in education at a university and years spent competing in the pageant world. As is the case with Cole, it's hard not to feel instantly intimidated when you share the same space as Desi, a fact that's acknowledged by most of the season's castaways. Bodybuilder. Okay. Um, she's built. She's very, she's in shape. She's in shape. Um, 
she's another one who's who's she's subtle but i think she has a lot more personality than she's showing she's fiery and i can tell she's fiery yeah she has a look in her face that that says fire uh yeah her she looks like she probably knocked me out she's just in very good shape she's uh kind of interesting to find out what she does yeah she's gotta be an athlete too she's she's got strong legs too i don't know what sport she does cool yeah she's she seems clean though really clean desi is new to survivor but she's been doing her homework her research process has included going back and watching seasons she's missed and listening to hours and hours of podcasts. David Bloomberg, meet your new favorite player, with apologies to Jessica Lewis. In fairness, Desi was among my very favorites, too, in terms of who I felt could win the whole season. She's clearly very intelligent, clearly very social, clearly very strong. And all of those things made me wonder just how clear her assets would be to everyone else, for better and for worse. I walked away from our conversation with a high level of confidence in Desi's ability to win Survivor. The same level of confidence I felt about professional gamer and YouTube personality Mari Takahashi before she shipped out to Fiji for Survivor Season 33. Mari was the second one out that season. My conversation with Desi after these thoughts from Probst. Okay, so here's, here's how we discovered Desi. Lynn Spillman brought her in, she sat down, and everybody was captivated by her beauty. It's hard not to. Then she starts talking and you forget about her beauty and you go, oh my God, you are uber smart. Not smart like I'm a bookworm, smart about life. I've been through some stuff. And then she says, oh, and yeah, I was in pageants. And so there's a whole world of pageantry. She starts talking about that and you realize once again why the pageant world applies to Survivor so often because she describes this catty world backstage where you're trying to one up each other. Then... I don't know how we missed this. The day before we started shooting, we check in with them. She comes in in a tank top and everybody went, oh my God, you're ripped. She had, she said, what do you mean? I go, well, no one saw her that way. We got so lost in her brain and all this other stuff. So I'm with you. She could blow people away because there's nowhere she's vulnerable. And yet, Josh, you and I both know we could get uh, to tribal in two nights and suddenly it's Desi, 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 first person voted out of Survivor, heroes, healers, hustlers, Desi. Being awesome does not mean you're not going home first. Yeah. How are you feeling, Desiree? I'm good. I'm excited. Are you excited to be here? Yeah. It's bizarre because I listen to Rob Has Podcast. Oh, really? So it's like weird to see you in person oh and not God. just be hearing your voice. Well, I'm not Rob. I'm just I'm, his I, lackey. Yeah, I'm his that. flunky. I got that. Well, you listen to RHAP. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. How, are you a big Survivor fan? I haven't been for years and years, okay. no. Uh, but actually, you should thank the producers of Survivor, because during casting, they were like, if you listen to any podcast, listen to Rob Has a Podcast. I'm going to forward that to the man himself. <laughs> yeah, he's did you get that big, on tape? He's no. going to be very happy. It is no. on tape. That is on the record. <laughs> so um, I've been like binge-watching Survivor and then binge-listening to RHAP. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so we'll hop into all of that. But first, an icebreaker. Uh... Two truths and a lie, are you aware of the game? I am aware of the game. Okay, so yeah. you're, you're going to tell me three things. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be a lie. I have to ferret out the lie. Okay. Hmm, this is tough because you like already know stuff about me. See, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have, I have read I your know, bio. I know, you've got like a history, I do. so that I makes it tough. I have whatever you wrote on the bio. Yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think of some bizarre things. Um, I'm trying to think. Take your time, <laughs> take your time, take your time. All right. I have one sister. I've never broken a bone, and I've bungee jumped in New Zealand. Wow. I hope it's true that you bungee jumped in New Zealand, because that sounds badass. Um, I'm going to say that you have more than one sister, or multiple siblings, or a different sibling situation. Actually, the truth... Wait. 
Is that Shit. the lie? I think I did three truths. <laughs> okay. I did three truths. I totally screwed that up. <laughs> you just can't help but tell the truth. This is the Shit. thing. We can leave it there. We can move fast. I've, I've already screwed this up. <laughs> I've already lost. <laughs> all right. So tell me, so, so you did some survivor binging. Yes. So how did you get roped into all of this? Oh my gosh. Somebody slid into my DMs. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Uh, so you know how you have that Facebook Facebook other inbox where people who aren't your friends can send you messages, but it doesn't show up. Of course. Um, so every once in a while, I just go through that to see what creeps have sent me messages because it's entertaining. Oh yeah. Um, and there happened to be a creep who was a casting for Survivor. A casting creep. <laughs> right. A casting creep. So I kind of looked at it. I sent it to my mom. Like, do you think this is legit, or do you think this is just another creep who's trying to get my info? Um, and I responded, and that process probably started. I want to say October of okay. last year. And here I am. So it's been a crazy rolling experience, uh, but I'm excited. So what was appealing to you about it? You know, you got connect, you, know, you got contacted for the show. You weren't, you know, super heavily invested in the show. Once these wheels started getting into motion, what drew you to Survivor? Ugh, I'm a competitor, like through and through, and I love to compete. I love to win. And so it seemed like a new challenge, probably the biggest challenge I've ever uh, had to come against in my life. Um, so I was just, you know, if you never try, you'll never know. So I'm out here just to win shit. Cool. <laughs> Basically. There you go. Can I curse on this oh, podcast? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Hashtag win shit. All right. right. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are. Give me a picture of Desiree. Sure. So full time I work as a professor. I teach leadership studies and also physical therapy. And where do you teach? At Hampton University. It's a small uh, private school in Virginia. Okay. Uh, so that's what I do full time. Once a week, I work as a physical therapist in the clinic, actually interacting with patients. And then in my free time for the past, I'd say five years, have been filled with uh, competing in pageants. Yep. I'm now retired from pageants. Done so with it's pageants. like, I don't know what to do with my free time. So I guess I'll just go on Survivor. Survivor right? every year. For <laughs> that's the rest right. Of your life. <laughs> that's right. This yes. will fill up all that free time. Um, so I've competed at Miss USA. I've competed at Miss America. Um, but I'm done with that and ready for a new adventure. Do you think that those experiences at all prepare you for something like Survivor? I gotta imagine there's a social game component to the pageant world. Oh yeah. So I like to say, well, most pageant experts say that the pageant's one in the interview room. And so essentially you go into a room full of strangers and the public never sees this, um, but you've got to convince these strangers that you're the best contestant to win the pageant. So you really have to read them and figure out if they're buying what you're selling. Uh, so I've done that for years as pageant in pageants. I've been fairly successful. I've been really successful in the world of pageants. Um, and I hope to bring some of that gameplay into Survivor to win over some of the other castmates. Cool. Um, your work as a professor, what drew you to that and, and the field that you wound up in? Uh, truthfully, I kind of I stumbled into being a professor. My undergraduate uh, degree is in education. So I liked education. I did my student teaching in a public school and it's like I certainly can't deal with these brats for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, so I went back to school to get a doctorate degree in physical therapy. I intended to be a physical therapist and then my university brought me on board part-time to teach PT and then about six months later full-time to uh, lead our leadership department. So I enjoy teaching. I always have. Um, my I thought my college students would be a lot different from the high school students turns I did during student teaching. Yeah, turn, so yeah, turns out they're one and the same. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're all brats. No, no, they're great kids in the yes. mix, in the, in, but a lot of brats too. Sure. <laughs> but it's it's fun, and I find that not only am I teaching them, but uh, I sort of have become 
a mentor, which feels weird because in my head, I'm still a young 20 year old. Right. Um, in their head, they're like, you're an old lady and you're our professor. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I'm that far removed from them, but. Uh, yeah, for them, you're, you're Professor Grandma. That, basically, yeah. basically. They're like, I don't know how old you are, but you're old. I'm like, I'm not that <laughs> I'm old. Really not. I'm I promise. 20s. Exactly. I'm still young. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it's funny because a lot of them went uh, to Miami for spring break and like went to the strip club and they were referencing referencing it in class using like the uh what's the word i'm looking for not the actual word but like some sort of like uh an acronym an acronym okay and i was like i know exactly what you're talking about oh so <laughs> let's not talk about this in class that's embarrassing <laughs> deeply embarrassing for those kids yeah so this is a well-timed break for you like it sounds like you're in a place where it's like you know that's fun and i enjoy what i do but i could use some time to reevaluate things yes i'm certainly ready for a change i enjoy what i do um i don't know that it's my passion uh, like i said it's something i sort of stumbled into a lot of what i've done pageants included i've stumbled into it i've been good at it and successful in that line of work uh, but I'm not sure if it's what I see myself doing for the rest of my life okay so hopefully we'll figure that out out here yeah it's a good time for some self-reflection when there are no distractions other than the other castmates absolutely <laughs> so you've had some time to go back and watch Survivor now um, what have you taken away from that you know what's your Survivor philosophy when you kind of look down at it top down right well I hate to like go through and quote <laughs> So my favorite is why blank lost Survivor. So I hate to go through wow, and quote. I Bloomberg. know, I know, I know. Ooh, the wiggle room is dissed right now. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. It's all right. So, David feels really good right now, though. I can tell you. So I, I try, like, I'm trying not to quote those things, but I, I think it is advantageous to. I mean, obviously, you have to scheme and plot in this game, which is a lot different from what I do in my everyday life. Actually, maybe not so much, because I, I tend to manipulate my students more than they think. Okay. Um as well as the people I work with. I, I get them to do what I want them to do. Um, but initially I want to go in kind of laying low, uh, trying not to be the boss. It's, it's sort of my temperament to take charge. So do you think you have to curb that a little oh, bit? Oh, absolutely, early on. I think nobody likes anyone barking orders when you first get to camp. Um, I think after the merge it helps because then you have to start building your resume. But initially I'm gonna try not to piss anybody off. <laughs> try not to let anybody else know that they're pissing me off. Um, and just try to be a good competitor, but not I don't think I I am threatening in comparison to a lot of these humongous Amazon-looking men and women here. Yeah. Um, so try to be helpful in challenges, but I don't want to come off as too big of a threat early on. What do you think of the field when you look out at the people you're going to be playing Survivor against? They are a tough field. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen them. And uh, I told somebody yesterday, it seems like they all came out of bodybuilder magazines. Like, I don't know if they live like that in their everyday life or that was part of their Survivor prep was to just get as big and jacked as possible. But these guys are like huge. They're humongous guys. Uh, and the women are pretty fit too. So that shocked me. Um, usually you kind of have a mix of people and some people are super fit. Others seem like, and we have a few who look like they've never stepped foot in a gym. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a tough group, a, a highly competitive group, I presume. Third person up on the Healers Tribe, Jessica Johnston, the nurse practitioner from Kentucky who just so happened to be missing in action when I visited Healers Beach on day two. I was very bummed to miss out on seeing her in the wild, based on the time I spent talking with her on day zero. Few people were as thoroughly elated about the chance to play a survivor as Jessica. 
Here's a quick little moment we shared when I showed Jessica a picture of herself as we were running through the list of castaways. What do you think about this person? Ah! Oh my gosh, is that my picture? Yeah, it's from Cassie. So that's me. Mm-hmm. That would be me. You're a fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of the show. <laughs> I'm, I, can I be honest? I'm going to be that I am so joyful in my nature. I'm about to explode. Like everyone else is like, I just, I know they're all excited. But sometimes I just find myself grinning like a freak. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta put my headphones in so are they at least thinking that I'm listening to a podcast? Because I'm not, I'm just grinning at the fact that I made it on Survivor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's priceless. If my life ended after Survivor, I think I could go to heaven and be like, Jesus. I was on Survivor. You did it. God, you turned everything good like you promised. <laughs> that's awesome. You'd be like, I saw your season, it was pretty good. <laughs> He's like, that's why I just brought you out yeah, here. Because like I wanted to talk like, to you about it. I, I couldn't hold back anymore. <laughs> Jessica's enthusiasm is utterly infectious. It's also a bit disarming, because make no mistake about it, she's here to play. As she mentioned at the top of this episode, Jessica's hoping to match her outwardly angelic personality with someone a bit more demonic. In my mind, I instantly thought of Natalie White and Russell Hance, the controversial winner and runner-up of Survivor Samoa. Say what you will about who should have won that season, but Natalie's strategy was obviously effective enough to secure the win. For her part, Jessica makes it clear that she's not just here to win, but here to play and make the most of the experience. After the limited amount of time I spent with Jessica, I felt very strongly that if things break her way, she would be an incredibly easy player to root for. Here's what Probst thinks about Jessica, and then we'll bring in Jessica to speak for herself. Ah, oh, Jessica, man, she came in. She's so charming. She shares, she shares her story of her life, and it's complicated and inspirational and then she's a caregiver and she's really kooky in the greatest way because she's aware of her kookiness and she self-examines in front of you you know she'll say i don't know i just said that i'm thinking about that let me think about that for a minute you're making me think about something i haven't thought about before i got to think about this wow this is really crazy but it's like watching a mad scientist work their own stuff out right in front of you and she's not embarrassed about it she's really open if she lasts long enough for people to see her truth, I think she's gonna become really attractive in all, not just physically, but just as a human, I think people are gonna really feel like there's a vulnerable, honest, authentic human. I want to watch her play. How are you feeling? I'm so excited. Like this is unbelievable. I keep telling people, which I sound redundant, but I can't help it. Like I think about the thousands upon thousands of people who try to get on the show and who continually apply trying to make it and I'm one of a handful. And I would love to be a fly on the wall to figure out what did they see in me that made them pick me, which is scary. Like, what did they see in me? <laughs> like, do I even know what they saw in right. me? Or were they like, listen, she could be, what if? And I'm like, oh, I hope I live up to their expectations. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I mean, it's all, yeah, it's like, all it's, head games It is, from the like, start. you're already playing with us. I'm like, well, why did you pick me? Like, do I even know? <laughs> Well, cool. All right, so uh, I'd love to play a little bit of an icebreaker game, a awesome. little get to know you. Okay. Two truths and a lie. Are you familiar with the yeah, game? Yeah, okay, yeah, I so think so. Okay, two truths and a lie. Can I think for a second? Oh, yeah, take your time, okay. take your time. Okay. Okay, let's do it. All right. So the game is two truths and a lie. I it have is. to say it so I know I do it right. There okay. you go. So I am a teacher. Okay. Um, I have a twin brother. And I'm a virgin. Wow. Ah! 
Oh my god. Now putting me on the spot. Now putting me on the spot. So good. So unfortunately, this is Survivor where nothing is fair. Um, and so I have your bio. Oh, you are a liar! Right? They didn't How tell about me that? that about How about you? that? How about that? So I know you're a nurse practitioner. Oh man. Oh, okay. But that's pretty good. Okay, I thought it was good. Oh, no, I. You know what? Right? If I didn't know, I like know, tricked myself. I'm like, know, am I a teacher? Have you done any teaching in nursing at all? Absolutely, kind of. I do some conferences, but am I a teacher? No, I'm not a professor. I practice. Okay. You know. Yeah. But you have a twin brother and you are a virgin. I, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's on the record now. It's on now. the record now. But you had my bio, so this is a trick. You wanted me to say all of those things no, on the No, I didn't see all. I don't think that your, your virgin or a twin brother is, is on there. <laughs> but I knew you were a nurse. But I knew you were a nurse. I did know you were a nurse. Can you tell me about being a nurse and why you wanted to get into that pursuit? You know, honestly, I fell into it. The first girl I met in college was in nursing school and I hadn't declared yet. I was going to be a psychology major and realized I didn't like the whole head game thing. So I picked nursing and it suits me perfectly. I had no idea. Naturally, I'm a nurturer. I am a lover at heart. I love people. I love helping. I feel like I sense emotion more than other people do. And so nursing and now as a nurse practitioner, I get to feed all of those natural instincts. Plus, I get to tell people what to do, yeah. which is fun at times. <laughs> so you like that part of the job I, as well. I like the leadership part and kind of having a say that counts, and I get to do that. Cool. Um, you said you moved away from psychology because you didn't like the head games. Yeah. Why are you here? I know. It's all a head game. Well, that was a long time ago because I'm 29. Yep. And so in this that long season of my 20s, I've learned that life is a head game and you have to play it and you have to do it well. And I feel like I've learned that, you know, going through graduate school, getting my doctorate in nursing, I know how to play head games. I know how to be assertive and I know how to get what I need and I want because you have to, you have to fight for what you want. Cool. So, so why are you out here on Survivor? Are you a fan of the show? Is that what brought you out here? I am a fan of the show. I am a fan of a thrill and adventure. I'm a fan of putting myself through hard things and pain. And I don't think there's anything harder than Survivor. Like a game that literally takes like necessities of life, food, water, clean clothes, a shower, things that make us feel good. Like human, you take those away, yet you're, we're still expected to function and thrive and excel in athletics and you have to maintain mental stability like it's crazy i'm drawn to craziness i guess that's why i'm here like i a want to win a million dollars and i want the title of sole survivor i think that it fits my life perfectly cool what do you think of fiji so far oh my gosh fiji is honestly sometimes i'm like is this heaven like i didn't i honestly i'm not gonna lie i suck at geography like I'm embarrassed to admit it. And I'm actually, I'm not embarrassed. I had no idea where Fiji was. I had no idea a land could be this beautiful. Like there's not a cloud in the sky. The weather's perfect. The water, I can like see my face. I could put my makeup on looking <laughs> at the water. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's beautiful. I'm in heaven. And I hope, honestly, I almost just said, I hope everyone else feels as good as I do, but I hope they don't. I hope they're plane sick. I hope they haven't pooped. I pooped. I feel great. You know, the weather's not affecting me at all. That's great. That's great. So what do you think about the group when you look at it, who you're going to be playing against? So honestly, coming into this game, so in my daily life, I'm a huge gym rat. I love fitness. I love health. And I thought I would walk into this game kind of being a physical threat. And I'm, I don't think that I am. There's a lot of muscle down there. I mean, 
quads popping out of pants, <laughs> deltoids popping out of shirts, and I feel like a weakling, honestly, but I'm definitely not the weakest. So just going from physical appearance, I see super strong, I see me, and I see super weak, and I don't think I could be in a better place. I don't think that people look at me and think that I'm a threat either direction. So as far as physical appearance, I'm on point. And, you know, I can't speak for everyone else's mental stability, but I have never been stronger. You know, I, I, you know, I'm a, a Christian. You know, I get a lot of my peace and a lot of my strength from the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I've been, you know, we all go through hard times. Life is just hard in general. And if you don't have that peace you can tap into, knowing that your strength is coming from a different source. And I know where my strength is coming from. So I'm going to definitely, you know, I feel like I'm starting out on a higher platform than the other people. You mentioned uh, that you, you know, people go through their hard times. 20s were a, a decade for you to discover the necessity of head games and everything yeah, like that. Have yeah. you gone through some stuff? Absolutely, and I don't think anyone, I think anyone who says they haven't is lying. Or maybe they're just lucky, I don't know. You know, when people ask me the hardest thing in life, it was getting my doctorate. Took five years and getting through boards was awful. Yeah. And I never thought that I was bad at school until I went through grad school. And I was like, man, I'm not cut out for this. Like, literally not cut out. But, you know, I put my head in the books, which is against my personality. I am lay in the grass, look at the sun type of girl. But I fell into this and I got in and I thought it was a miracle. <laughs> and I'm not a quitter. And so I just kept telling myself that I would have regrets if I quit. Every year, I would cry, and I would, my parents would say, Jessica, like, what else are you going to do? And the answer was, I don't know. And so their answer was, then you keep going. You know, we don't quit. We keep going. And I didn't. And I kept going, and I had this awesome degree that no one can take away from me. I can use it. I cannot use it. And it's there. And I have zero regrets. And in five years later, I'm now in the sun laying in the grass on Survivor. That's pretty wild. So it's awesome. Like life just took me, it took a long time. It took almost a decade for me to understand like life, what we put ourselves through isn't always the easiest, but hard work always benefits some type of reward. And I believe that with my whole heart. And I love talking about like success because I love talking about what it takes to get there. Yeah. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Absolutely. And that's Survivor. If Jessica is looking to partner up with someone seeking to play an aggressive game, she's on the right tribe. Look no further than Meanie in the Making Joe Mina, who might be a healer in his profession and a healer on Survivor, but is very much looking to hustle his way toward the win. As he tells me repeatedly, Joe is not here for the cameras. He's not here for the adventure. He's here for one reason and one reason only. I'm here to secure the bag. I'm not here for the fame. I'm not here for the, you know, for the lights, the cameras, for the adventure or anything like that. This trick is for the money. For Joe, Survivor is a work trip. Nothing matters other than winning and winning at all costs. It's a highly focused attitude and one that's served some players well in the past, like Survivor Thailand champion Brian Heideck, as well as a more recent Survivor winner. The aforementioned Tony Vlakos, who lied through his teeth all the way to the million during season 28. But the thing about Tony is that he really is a unicorn in Survivor lore, or maybe more like a magical llama, somehow flying by the seat of his pants to an unlikely victory. Just because both Tony and Joe have big tattoos, rough and tough East Coast personalities, similar professions, and similar hairlines, doesn't mean these two Survivor players will share the same level of success. Here's executive producer Matt Van Wagnen on whether he thinks Joe will follow in Tony's footsteps. 
No, he's not nearly as crazy as Tony. There is no second coming of Tony Vlacos. It doesn't exist. There's just one. There's there just, can be only one. There can be only one. Yes, of course there's some things. And I actually do think he will play like Tony. Tony was a shark in that if he ever stopped, he would drown. Like, Tony couldn't shut it down. By me saying that he's not the second coming of Tony is not an insult. I actually think it might be for him a good thing. I think that he has the ability to hold back a little bit. Um, and I think that that's actually going to um, serve him well. I think people will see it, a Tony side to him. I think that he... Um, look, Tony, you just, you're never, you're, we're never going to see that again. You know, it's just, it's just not Until Tony 3.0. God, I... From your, and that's actually just Tony. From, from, from your lips to God's ears. I'd love to see Tony play again. But I, I think that um, he has some, definitely has some Tony characteristics. I think if there was a player that he probably most resembles in a lot of ways, you'd say Tony. But I think he's going to be a more subdued um, version of that. Not for nothing, while he did win his first season, Tony went out very early on his second tour of Survivor Duty. I was utterly enthralled by Joe during our conversation and hoped for nothing more than to see him succeed in his quest toward the million, but I also felt like things could go very poorly for someone who exudes toniness in the post-Kagian era of Survivor. Before we get into it with Joe, let's hear from Probst, and let's find out why Joe wound up on the Healer's Tribe as opposed to the Hustlers. Yeah, Joe is a healer. Joe is interesting because Joe could have also been a Hustler. And um, we talked about that, but one thing that struck me about him, because I, when, when Joe first came in, I knew he was a probation officer. I had an image of a probation officer as sort of a mean guy who holds you accountable, and if you're not here, I've watched too many movies. <laughs> what Joe said was, no, I'm a guy helping people transition. They're on probation. So this is a period of being tested. And here's what you have to do. You have to show me that you're, you're doing the right thing. If you don't, there's a consequence. But I find that as a as a healer, I would want that in my if I were ever in a probation situation, somebody who says, "I'm I'm an aide, but I have to hold you accountable." That's what you want. That's like good therapy. I'm here, but I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what I see. So to me, Joe is a healer, and what I like about Joe is that he's a healer who's been around the block. As a probation officer, it's not just sitting in a pretty office. It's being out there and dealing with some people that have probably been through some stuff. I think Joe's going to be a great read on people. I have high hopes for Joe because he's really likable and he's the kind of guy that does well on Survivor. He's that East Coast blue collar, you know, I'll dig up an idol in the middle of the night. Don't you worry, Jeffrey. He's got, you know, thoughts going miles and miles a minute. Yes. And the mouth as well. <laughs> I know, but that's what's so fun. Of course, Absolutely. How you feeling, man? Oh, this feels better. You know, no cameras, you know, <laughs> just a regular convo. I could deal with that. I could definitely deal with that, yeah. you know? Yeah, we'll be all right. Low pressure, low yeah, stakes. Yeah, yeah, you know? Just, I'm not I'm not the camera and video guy, you know? You signed up for the wrong show, I, I, I know, but it's a million dollars. You got to go for it, you know what I mean? There's, you know, pros and cons every situation, you know, give and take. So I guess I'll, I'll give that up and I'll take the million. You know? Absolutely. So that's that's the well that's the game plan at this point. So. Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit. Let's do a little bit of a get to know you. All right. Uh, icebreaker: Two truths and a lie. Are you familiar with the game? Um, two truths and a, and a lie, right? Yeah. All so right. you're gonna tell me three things about yourself. All right. Two of them are true. All right. One is a lie. I have to figure out the lie. Okay. Whenever you're ready. I'm a father. Extremely lovable. And I'm a fighter. Well, this is difficult because these are objective things. What if I find that you are extremely lovable? 
Okay. And that can't be a lie. Okay. But is that what you believe to be the lie? No. You're not a fighter. No, I'm not a fighter. You're a lover. I'm a lover. You're a lover. Believe it or not. <laughs> you know, most people think, eh. Well, I am the a-hole. Usually I am the a-hole. Like, I come, <laughs> I come across I come across as an a-hole, and then once you get to know me, it's kind of like, I, I get him, and yeah. I like him. You know, this is kind of my personality. It's, it's not like I choose to be the a-hole, but I'm sure the rest of the cast is like, okay, there's always a villain, there's, there's always an a-hole, and this is the guy that's, that, that's playing that character. And they're going to be surprised that, you know, I'm not. You know, um, but I'll, I'll let them rock out with that. That's fine. You know, um, so um, yeah. I mean, a fighter. I'm a fighter in ways, but not. You know, I, I love to engage in conversation. I love to engage in arguments and debates. But as far as like, you know, you're not you're not gonna get me to the point that I'm just gonna lose my cool. Yeah. You know, I'm always calm and collective, and you know, I'm crazy. I like to have fun, things like that. But you know, to take me out of character, it's just it's not gonna be that easy. So tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are. Sure. Um, Name's Joe, 34 years old. I live in Tyler, Connecticut. Um, I'm originally, uh, I was born in Bronx, New York. I nice. lived in Dominican Republic, moved back to, to the Bronx, raised in Providence, Rhode Island, moved to Orlando, and then I'm in Hartford, Connecticut now. Uh, so I moved to Thailand just not too long ago. Uh, I'm an adult probation officer for the state of Connecticut. I've uh, been doing that now close to a decade. Uh, most of my career, I've mostly like high-risk offenders, you know, specialized units, worked in a uh, sex offender unit for, for years and domestic violence unit for years so I mostly you know deal with you know the high-risk offenses and you know victim sensitive cases and you know not just the typical DUIs and you know petty larceny so um, you know I have two beautiful children I have a nine-year-old son uh, Jaden and a uh, ten-month-old daughter Jade and um, you know the tough part about you know obviously leaving the kids behind is my daughter's first birthday will be when I'm out here oh, so wow. <laughs> you know the icing on the cake is like I gotta come back home with the million dollars what like, day is that uh, is the sixth yeah, so, um, you know, th that's the tough part, but, you know, it's, like I mentioned, there's the pros and cons, you know. I leave for seven weeks and then come back with a million dollars, you know. After taxes, we're looking at 700 k That's $100,000 a week. Where else do you get that? You know what I mean? So that's what I'm here for. I'm here, you know, for the children to get the money for them, secure a better future for them. You know, I have, I have a decent life back home. You know, I want a house, you know, a couple properties. I, I have a great career. I could retire at the age of 44, but, you know, $700,000 could definitely make a difference and set them up. So, you know, I'm here, I'm here to secure the bag. I'm not here for the fame. I'm not here for the you know, for the lights, the cameras, for the act, the adventure or anything like that. Just strictly for the money. You it's know? a business trip. It, basically, that's how I look at it. You know, I play Survivor every single day in my job and I don't make no $700,000 in, you know, in, uh, in seven weeks. You know, I don't even make $100,000 a year. So um, that's what I'm here for. You know, I play Survivor literally every day and there's nothing that, um, that, you know, these guys could throw at me that I haven't seen or heard or been through before, you know. How do you play Survivor every day through your work? Can you talk me through that? Um, sure. You know, like I mentioned, you know, I work mostly with, you know, domestic violence and sex offenders. And, you know, we're talking about individuals that, you know, they're, they're narcissistic. I mean, they're males. They're all about power, hung, you know, the power, control, and manipulation. You know, they manipulate the criminal justice system, their victims, you know, the victim's family, um, everything around them, you know. And now... I'm supervising them for five, ten years, you know, and I'm sure they manipulated me initially and they manipulated me throughout, you know, my career, but it's about learning how to manipulate them, you know. As a probation officer, you know, most people don't know what we do, but, you know, when someone gets convicted of a crime and they go to jail and they get out of jail, where do they go? You know, someone's supervising them to make sure that they don't recommit that crime. And so, that's you. And that's me. So, you know, when you hear these police officers, I know so so cliche and survivors, it's like, I deal with criminals every day and, you know, I know when someone's lying to me. And it sounds cliche, but honestly, we deal with criminals every single day, so we just know when someone's bullshitting us. So, you know, that's what I deal with. So I've learned to manipulate people, you know, 
that have been manipulating everyone around them for years, if not decades, and committing crimes, you know. So there's not a story I haven't heard. There's not a lie that I haven't heard. And, you know, I'm a great liar. I learned from the best. And as far as detecting bullshit, I, I, I got the best detector out there, you know, um, because these are the people I deal with day in and day out. So I get lied to 99.9% .9 of the time, you know. Um, and it's my job to find out, you know, where, where's the truth. Can you tell me about your tattoos? They're super impressive as a guy who has none. <laughs> you know, um, this is uh, this is my son's a portrait of my son. Oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah, and then we have JBM. That's my initials, his initials. And then when he was about five, this is actually his handwriting. Oh, that's his name, awesome. Jaden. And then we have a little. It's not the flesh and blood, but the heart that makes his fathers and sons. Um, you know, because she's uh, basically my my life, along with my daughter. My daughter was born in May. And these are the flowers of May, the uh, lily of the valley and hawthorns, which represent love and, you know, um, a few other things, which I forget because my mind's going 100 miles oh, yeah, an hour. Oh, yeah, of course. But um, this is going to be her arm, and then this is his arm. Um, so I'm just going to add it as it goes, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Were you, do you Thank have you. other tattoos? No, that's it. That's just, just my kids. That's the only thing that, you know, when I was young, I was like, I'm never getting a tattoo. And then my kids came along and everything changes once you have kids. Are you, you know? telling me when, when my wife and I have kids, like, I'm just going to be sleeves? You, like, you I'm going to have, be, like, throat tattoo? <laughs> you, you, you'll be surprised, man. You know, you'll definitely be surprised. Did having kids, like, completely, like, change everything for you? Oh, yeah, man. You, you're, you were talking to the most selfish individual ever. Like, literally, it was just about me, 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 me. Yeah, what were you like before this? Um, I was like this, but times 10 you know what I mean so I didn't give two shits about anything it was just about me and just having fun and you know just a typical guy like you know I used to go out and drink and party and I was about women and this and that and now you know you have a child it's like wait a minute you know what I mean this you're raising a young man that's gonna you know turn into a man and be someone's you know husband and you know a father and you got to send an example now I have a daughter and that's you know I'm raising her to one day she's gonna be someone's wife and someone's mother so you know you just your perspective just completely changes and you know I don't do anything for me anymore you know I do everything for them yeah so are you a are you a survivor guy um, absolutely it's, it's crazy because I got into survivor because of my chief so my chief was like Joe, do you watch Survivor? And I'm like, no. You know what I mean? I don't like that's to me it was like just fake reality. It just wasn't my cup of tea at all. He was like, if you go on that show, you know, you'll be great because the way I handle my clients and things like that. So I'm like, nah. So I watched like a season and I'm like, nah. And then I think I came across like heroes versus villains and I was like, yo, this is my shit. So I binge watched that episode and I just went through literally every episode, every season, and now I'm like, I I'm almost like I think there's different levels. There's levels to everything, you know? So I think I'm like uh I'm past the fan. I might be a super fan, but not quite, because I can't break down every season, every character, but I know a lot about it. After you win this season, then you're going to really become the expert, and you'll be able to break down every single episode. If I win this, now, I'm going to have a million. I'm going to have too much going you'll on. You'll never watch it again. Yeah, I'm have too much going on. I, you know, if, if I win this, like, legit, I, I didn't leave my kids for seven weeks to come, like, to, to not win. So, I'm about the money. I want to secure the bag, but... If I win, I, I'm not playing again. Like, I look at this like a hustle. Like, I don't even, I, I'm, a, I'm a private guy as far as, like, my family and stuff. So, now I'm exposing everything, you know. And to do it again, I don't know. I can't make a career out of it, you know. Uh, You're you not going to be a career survivor because those not a, exist. I'm not a Malcolm. I'm not an Ozzy. I'm none of them. Like, no shots to them like that. What do you do that you're able to take off seven weeks from work yeah. every year? Yeah. Are you going to tell people what you do? Absolutely not. What are you um, going to say? I don't know yet. I'm just going to wing it when I get out there. So I don't know the theme. I mean, I have my mind's like, my mind races 100, like 100 miles an hour. So I have like 50 million themes. Different what are you setups. thinking? Give me, give me like two. Well, there's 18 people. So when there's 18, it's usually 
tribes of three. So I'm thinking like, let's go back to like the whole triple B thing, the beauty bronze, or we could do like the blue collar, but I don't think it's that. I think they're gonna twist it on us. I see a lot of like East Coast, West Coast swag, and that's been my thing since like LA auditions. So maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Just maybe just tribe of two. But you haven't thought about what you're gonna say. Nah, I gotta, I gotta assess everything. I gotta, I gotta see, you know, I don't know what happens because, you know, Survivor, they don't show you everything. But I'm assuming we get to the island. Everyone's playing nice-nice right now. So it's kind of like you don't know. And I love when people play nice-nice because everyone's, like, trying to socialize in their own way. And it's like, all right, so you're that guy. You want to socialize all the time. So what makes our relationship any special? You, you do the same shit with everybody. So I just, you know, I think they think that I'm the a-hole of the season. I'm quiet. They can't read me yet. So... I'm just gonna play off of that, and when I, you know, we'll get to the island, and everyone will be like, "Oh, this is what I do. This is who I am." And at that point, I'll figure out what I am, and who I am. At that point, I got to read your bio a little bit. Okay. So it says that you're into video games. Oh yeah, I love video games. Tell me about your gaming hobby. Uh, I'm not like a gamer, gamer with. The, what do you uh, like? What do you do? What do you? No, play? I do PS4. Okay, you know what I mean? Cool. So I'm not like a computer thing. I like, you know, Call of Duty. I play Call of Duty like forever uh, with my buddies. Um, just mostly like you know, 2K, uh, Madden. I could spend hours and days playing video games. Unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, but, you know, now I have two kids, so it's like, I, I, I don't play as much as I did sure. before, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's tough, but, yeah, I love video games. But you yeah. like games, period. I mean, you're about to embark upon the greatest of games. Absolutely, you know what I mean? This is this is definitely, you know, it's about the money, though. You know, the venture's cool, everything's cool, but, you know, it's the money for the kids, and I love fucking with people, that's just my thing. <laughs> For our penultimate healer, we return to day zero, just as the sky unsheathed dawn, the sword of the morning. Yes, that's really an extremely nerdy Game of Thrones reference, but it's relevant to our present purpose. Over the course of these interviews, I had a Game of Thrones notebook in my possession. In his provided bio, Dr. Mike Zahalski makes note that he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. We should have been focused solely on Fiji during our conversation, but instead, thanks to my notebook, we plunged headfirst into Westeros. Nice to meet you. I swear I'm not pandering with the Game of Thrones notebook. Oh, that's funny, because <laughs> you heard I was a fan. I heard you're a fan. That's funny. I did hear you're a fan. You know, the best investment they ever made was, I, uh, you know, I was going, I was in med school, and I was going away with my family. It's 98. Yeah. And my mom's like, Oh, so right books? around, that's Clash of Kings publication date. It was, uh, yeah, I guess like right around then. It yeah. was like, she's like, go to the bookstore and get a book. We're going away. Went to the bookstore on the bargain shelf. Like I looked all over. I couldn't find a book. And on the bargain shelf, right at the front of Barnes & Noble, you know, five ninety nine, silver covered hardcover. Oh like my hard God. So I bought it for five ninety nine. How much is that worth like now? Like a thousand bucks. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Hold that close. Treasure it every right. night. So like, you know, I have a couple of funny George Martin stories. Oh, have Where, you met him before? I've never met him, but I follow his blog. Yeah. Right? Feverishly looking for the update. The right. update. Right. Where I mean, is the Winds of Winter? Right, exactly. I mean, you're obviously a big fan, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I cover the show, like, very, very aggressively. So okay. I'm so, all in. Are we on air right now? Yeah, this is recording, yeah. This is some okay. Game of Thrones preamble. But that's fine. Yeah, no, no, this it's is a, character building. This so, is good. <laughs> so, we, uh, so I follow the blog, and one day, you know I'm a urologist from South Florida, right? Yeah. And... All of a sudden, in his blog, he says, I'm sorry I haven't written in a week, but I was uh, in the hospital with urosepsis. And I was like, oh, no. Like, like, this is my shot guy, to talk to the guy. Well, I, well no, I was like, this guy's going to pull like a, George, like a Robert Jordan. He's going to pass away. 
Right, which, I mean, this is, we're talking years and years ago, right? Yeah. And so, I, you know, I go on Spokio. I'm like, I'm not a crazy person, right? Like, I go on Spokio, I have my PA, and his number pops up. And I, I have my PA call him yeah. and say, my boss is a big fan of the show. Speaks to his wife, the person, Paris. Yeah. Like, my boss is a big fan of the show. He knows you live in New Mexico. He's the, you know, head of a large urology practice here in Fort Lauderdale. He's willing to fly you out <laughs> to take care of you to make sure that yeah, nothing's wrong with so you. So that we can find out what happens to Jon Snow. Right. Yeah. And, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to L.A. next week. Like, his wife was like, going to L.A. next week. He's going to go to Cedar sinai then. Okay. And that, I think, you know, in my mind now corresponds with when he signed the HBO deal. Yeah. So at the time, there was no deal. And then I was like, and tell him to get his phone number off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was like, we like fans, right? Like, we like them calling us. Right. And so, uh, but it's, I, I have to imagine they've scrubbed that since. Yeah, I mean, I'm the sure. show just got huge and the whole franchise is like... Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. And then, uh, so then at a charity auction, I got one of his like limited edition Dance of Dragons books, like, yeah. you know, illustrated and stuff like that, like two volumes. And he like, they were like, I'll inscribe anything you want. So I wrote down the story. I mem- like I memorialized that story and sent it to him. And they wrote back, thanks for caring about me, Mike. <laughs> so I have an inscribed copy. That's cool. Next to my silver copy. Next to my Jon Snow snor- sword, like on the Big Bang Theory. Oh, so you got one I- of those. You got Longclaw. I got Longclaw. I have Needle. I have uh, Oathkeeper. Wow. And I have the Hound's Helmet. Wow. 48. 48- 40-year-old birthday present. And my these are, got these are the, the show versions or this is the the book stuff? Because there's there's differences, right? These are the the Needle and Longclaw are both book versions. Yeah. They've made only the Oathkeeper from the... From the show. From the show. And the Hound Helmet's just the show, I think. Yeah. You know? So you're a, a true super nerd for Game of Thrones. I guess you could say that. Yeah. And Survivor. Yeah. So that should give you a little bit of a sense of Mike as a character. Here's another story about the incredibly successful urologist from Matt Van Wagenen. Um, he told us a story about um, he was having a party at his house and he just got Apple TV and they were playing music and Apple TV does pictures that if you just set it up, it automatically goes from pictures from your phone. Well, he had pictures of penises from his work and his wife comes running in and says, Mike, Mike, look at the TV. And there's all these floating penises on the TV screen in the middle of this party. I mean, come on, that is great. And this guy was toying with not telling people he was a urologist. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, like, how great is it at night? He will be able to sit there at night and just crack people up. I mean, he sat there in casting and had us charmed immediately. He's fantastic. He's self-deprecating. He's incredibly intelligent. Um, You know, he, I'm sure, I don't know if he told you this, but he hired a personal trainer, not just to teach him how to, like, you know, get him into shape, but to teach him how to throw um, beanbags. Like, he is in it, he is in it to win it. The only thing on the planet Mike enjoys more than a good fantasy novel and a good urology pun is Survivor. He's dreamed about playing this game for years and years, and now he's finally here. He talks a very big game, despite having virtually zero experience in the great outdoors. Will he be able to put his money where his mouth is? You can make your judgments after listening to more of my conversation with Mike, following this quick assessment from Probst. Oh, Dr. Mike is a home run. Dr. Mike was on about one and a half seconds after he sat down. And 
Dr. Mike, and I think he'd be okay with me saying this, is an underdog when you look at him because he doesn't look like the prototype, prototype for the person that's on our show. But Dr. Mike is surprisingly confident about himself in all areas of life. He knows he's a very good doctor. He talks about his relationship being amazing. And he says, I can also start firing under a minute. So I'm gonna surprise people out there. And man, he is witty. He's very funny. He has a lot of sexual innuendo with, the, with his uh, job as a urologist. And I think there's a lot of women, especially, that are gonna think he's very charming. So how does your survivor obsession compare to Game of Thrones? I mean, you'll tell me. I mean, <laughs> first episode we ever watched was the uh, season finale of season one. You and me both. And my wife and I have watched ever since. We used to, so the reason why I'm a true nerd of Survivor is not just that we watched the shows, but when I was like, you know, I, I was newly married, I had a hall pass. My hall pass was Sam Michelle Geller, a little <laughs> obsessed with Buffy, right? Who isn't? Of course. And my wife's hall pass was Ethan from Survivor. Wow. Now, it just so happens, though, that Ethan, I lived on 23rd and 3rd because I was a resident at Beth Israel on 16th and 1st in urology, right? And Ethan lived on 20th oh. and 1st. <laughs> so we would see him on the street frequently. So you would just cover your wife's eyes and make sure she didn't notice that Ethan well, was Well, no, I was a geek. Street. I was like, oh, look, there's, there's Ethan, there's right. Ethan. Use your whole pass. Like, but then I was like, wait a second. Like, you could actually go and hook up with your hall pass. But I can't. Right. She's like, well, you just picked a bad hall pass. She's not wrong. Right? Like, <laughs> An unattainable like, hall pass. Right. She was like, that's bad thinking on your part, right? Like, good thinking on my part. So, I mean, fast forward a few years, and we've named our son Ethan. Wow. So is he your favorite of all time on Survivor? I mean, I think he probably is. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, he was awesome, right? He's a, but yeah, we named our son after Ethan from Survivor. That's awesome. I, the crazy thing is, though, is that not just us. I mean, yes, we did it. But when we moved to Parkland, Florida, we met another couple that also named their son Ethan after Ethan from Survivor. Wow. And when you then look at how often since Survivor Ethan won, Ethan has been one of the most popular names in America, like top five in America. It's like eight out of the last 13 years or something. Yeah. Because of Ethan, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, you know, I bet you he's never even realized that, right? Which is sort of a cool thing. Right. I mean, Ethan's awesome, right? Like he's a, he won Survivor. He's a cancer survivor. Like. He, like, he seems like everything good in America. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you are a fan of the show. You stuck with it through the years. Did you ever miss a season? I've never missed an episode. Never missed an episode. So you're here now. Uh, what do you think of Fiji so far, first of all? Fiji's great. Despite the bugs, Fiji is beautiful. I feel like you're like a nerd like me. Right. I've... I've I've watched a lot of Survivor. Okay, for, we could leave it there for now. We're not nerds, right? Like, I tell my wife that I'm the cool kid that the nerds like to hang out with, and she says I'm the nerd that the cool kids tolerate. <laughs> oh, right? brutal. So, she's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, I, did you, you know Frozen? Yeah. So, right before Frozen, there's a short, the lava song. I feel like I'm in that little cartoon, right? Like, as soon as I landed here, I put on that song because it's one of my kids' favorite songs. And it's like... I love you. Yeah. You know? So you feel connected. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's awesome. I feel like I'm living the American dream. You know, in my video, I talked about how survivors sort of ruin the American dream because people think they can just 
go on a game show and win a million dollars. And, you know, I'm sort of here to show them that they have to work their butt off for everything in life, including when you go on Survivor. And then, yes, you can get a million dollars. But I feel like, I feel like getting on Survivor is really, you know, a dream of almost every American, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so you're out here. Uh, you finally made it. Dream realized. Step one, at least. Uh, now you got to get to day 39. What uh -huh. are you thinking? What's your plan? I mean, I think I have so many plans in my head. I, I mean, there are definitely players out here, right? And, but in my life, I have overcome every adversity ever put in front of me. And whether it's, I feel like I'm the guy that finds the little hole, like the little loopholes or the little holes and uses them to my advantage. And in Survivor, that's the perfect way to play. You know, I, uh, I've succeeded at everything I've ever done. And that's not, I'm not gloating. I'm just, it's fact. just a fact, right? I was valedictorian of my uh, high school class. I was accepted out of Bre to Brown for their college and med school program at the same time. In Brown, I was the first person in Brown's history to have three concentrations and graduate in four years. I then did a master's while in medical school with a focus in epidemiology because I had time on my hands, wow. right? In my residency, you know, I did a five-year residency, a six-year fellowship in male and female sexual dysfunction, male infertility, and at the same time did genetic research at MIT for a year, right? It's, I came down to Florida with less than a thousand dollars to my name, a $200,000 line of credit, and now I have one of the busiest urology practices in South Florida. Three offices, four doctors, three PAs, 29 employees. I, it's a go big or go home attitude, and we're gonna, I'm gonna go big here. I don't think that, I hope people underestimate me here. Yeah. Because I am not the biggest threat. I am not, I am, not intimidating in my life because I specialize in sexual dysfunction. I, uh, I'm good at sitting in a room and letting people talk and letting people tell me their deepest, darkest insecurities. Sure. That's very intimate stuff that people must be talking to you about. Right. And it's up to me to now use those to my advantage in a way that obviously as a physician, you would never do, but we'll see how it works on survivor. Very cool. Um, one of the things that I've been doing with everybody is a little bit of a get-to-know-you game. Uh, two truths and a lie. Are you familiar? No. Okay, so two truths and a lie is you're going to tell me three things. Two of those things about yourself are going to be true. One of those things about yourself is going to be a lie. And I have to figure out which one is the lie. You can take as much time as you need to figure out what you want to say. Okay. Go for it. I'm the first person in the United States to publish research on the use of stem cells injected into the penis for erectile dysfunction. Okay. I was on the rugby team in medical school. I go camping once a month. I don't think you go camping once a month. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I do... I've gone camping once. Okay, is, is this it? For, besides this, when I was 10, I went for one night. <laughs> Did you do anything like in terms of the, the survival aspect to get prepared for that? If you're not a camping guy naturally, like how did you get yourself okay with being out here? Or is it just going to be like, we're going to hop in and we're going to do it? I approached Survivor like I was approaching my board certification exam 
or any other major aspect of my life. Since hearing about this, I've been training. I ran a marathon in January. I have had a trainer come to my house three mornings a week to help me on balance beams and throw bean bags into buckets. These are not things that come naturally to me. I'm a doctor, right? I, and although I was on the rugby team in medical school, I was probably the worst person on the team, right? It's a, and you know, I've been going to the gym. I've kept up my running. I've had a swimming train, like somebody trained me to help me uh, with my strokes and diving more like face planting into the water, <laughs> but at least it's not belly flopping anymore. Right. Now just my head hurts when I do it. But as far as the camping stuff, not really. I didn't think about it, right? I, uh, do I know how to make fire? I have an astigmatism, so I can't do it with my glasses, I think. But if you give me flint, I can make fire in probably under a minute. Okay. But camping, building a shelter, it's not my thing. Hopefully it's somebody else's thing. Yeah. I'm counting on it. Okay. Like cooking rice in a pan? No, I've, I've never cooked rice in a pan before. I, cleaning water, I mean cleaning, yeah, cleaning water or boiling my clothes. I mean, I didn't know you can boil clothes, right? We'll see how it goes. Okay, cool. Um, have you given any thought to twists? I mean, you're 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 a Survivor fan. We're as deep into Survivor as it gets. It's 34 seasons now on 35. Everything is crazy. It's a long way since Ethan's on. What do you think they're going to throw at you? I'm betting this is a return to either Exile or Redemption Island. That's my guess. But I also think there are going to be three tribes. Because I. And besides that, I'm not sure. I have some twists of my own, though. Yeah, right? I'd love I mean, to hear those. Like, because I am, the, if I won, I'd be the second oldest person to win Survivor. Right? Is that right? Uh-huh. Wow. There's only one person that's been older than okay. me that, to win. And because of that, if you look at the older players, a lot of times they just check out. Right? So my goal is to win an immunity idol. Right? And then be like, you know, if my numbers are ever down, be like, guys i'm done just vote me out like please and that way i'm going to be able to then target the one person that i need to get out like the mastermind behind everything bring the votes my way and let me shoot it over at right. that guy a lot of people like seem to get scared when there are votes coming towards them and other people have bragged oh well no one's ever voted for me well if you're not a player people aren't going to vote for you just because you make it to the final three doesn't mean you have a chance to win right when i make it and i'm gonna make it because I wouldn't be out here unless I thought I was going to win. It's, and you have no idea how much it's actually costing me because, like I said, I have 29 employees and the practice only runs when I'm there seeing patients. But it, they're still being paid by me. I'm here to win. Cool. I think it's important to have a, a second, right? Like to have a partner, right? Like most good survivor partnership, like survivor winners have had like a partner to take with them the entire time. But does that person have to be known to everybody, right? Do you have to be sitting with that person at the fire or should you really have a secret partner on the other side, right? There are things like that that we'll, we'll see how it plays out. It really just matters what, what happens like those first three minutes when you get out there. Yeah. I'm Josh. Hi, Roar. Nice Sorry, to meet you. Sunscreen and No sweat. worries. We're on Survivor, man. Everything's dirty. That's I just... Am... Just how it goes. 
so excited to be with you. Yay. I want to talk all about gyms. Okay. <laughs> oh, so you're a Top Chef listener? Of course. Oh my God. Well, you are now instantly my favorite. Oh, good. So you're a big Top Chef fan? That's oh, why big. you're out here, obviously. Obviously. Okay. Is, is this not Top Chef? <laughs> I think you're on the wrong show. I think you might be in a little bit of trouble. Shit. So that's Rourke Luskin. She, like Mike, is clearly a Survivor fan. And based on what you just heard, she's also a Rob Has a Podcast listener. What you just heard was a whole mess of nonsense if you've never listened to the Top Chef podcast I occasionally appear on alongside the great Antonio Mazzaro, Kurt Clark, Haley Strong, and Parade Magazine's very own Mike Bloom. Note to all future Survivor players, if you drop a good Jim's reference, or greet me in Wanda voice, or start our conversation off by calling me a craven, we're going to be fast friends. I liked Rourke straight away, and not just because she started the interview by feasting on kneecaps. This is someone who loves Survivor, and not just for the strategy, but also for the story. She's in it for the goofy characters, and the train wrecks, and the gloriously bad decisions. The seasons that don't quite gel together on a gameplay level, but pack a hell of a quirky punch. Of course, out here in Fiji, she doesn't want to become a quirky punch line. Rourke is my last interview of the day, so by the time she sits across from me, I know what all of the other players are thinking about her. And many of them don't quite know what to think. She's kind of quiet, reserved. Um, I haven't got a good read on her yet. She she seems like she looks like a swimmer from from just looking at her, and knowing the swimmer's body type. She looks like a swimmer, but she also seems very um, like mousy, if that's the word. Very, kind of seems very shy. She's kind of hunched over all the time with like poor posture, kind of like much like she wants to be hidden. And so I'm reading into that a little bit. She is not confident in herself. And so I, I'm sure she is an absolutely lovely person. She looks like a lovely person, but I think that something like that could get you sent home very early. She just does, she doesn't walk into a room and command the room like most of the other people do. And I'm sure she is a wonderful person. I'm just not sure who's gonna want to align with her given the fact that she does seem sort of more just unconf, I don't even know how to explain it. Just looks down or, or maybe more into herself. Not into herself, egotistical, more just um, introverted. You can form your own opinion on Rourke after listening to our conversation, coming your way right after these thoughts from Probst. Rourke is really unique. Rourke is this, I'd call Rourke quirky or even unusual. She would say, I'm as normal as they are, but I don't think so. I think she's so zoned into what she does and loves helping people so much psychologically that I feel like Rourke lives on another level. Like I'm always looking at people. I'm reading your mind right now, Jeff. I could tell you things about your childhood you don't even know. And I think I find that fascinating. Rourke's the kind of person that I want to have a beer with because I love people who have that insight into the human psyche. And I think on Survivor, it's either going to break her or make her. That, And I, again, I, Rourke would be listening to this thinking, what is he talking about? But I think Rourke could come off as so unique that people go, I, I'm not sure. Or so interesting that everybody gravitates toward her. And to me, that would come down to her reading the room and saying, which part of my personality do I put forth? Because she's so complex, I think she could go a few different ways. Rourke, how are you feeling? I feel good. I'm excited, happy to be here. I'm pretty zen. I'm not stressed. There's people constantly asking, they're like, what time is it? I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's Survivor o'clock. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're in a snow globe. Just like get with the program and chill the F out. So you're a Survivor fan? Yes. Lifelong? Yes. 
why are 10 you, years old started what why why are you hooked into it what hook, what hooked you about survivor um i think it's the i've always loved communication and human dynamics and i just love watching that stuff play out that's why i feel like my favorite seasons are not necessarily the big strategy seasons it's the big personality seasons so you're a gabon fan i'm a panama fan okay yeah well, i was kind of a combo true true um big panama fan um i actually I recently hooked my one of my best friends and her husband, and so I've been slowly kind of peppering in different ones. How did you start them? With Panama? I started them with Kageon. Okay. I thought I, I think, think that's, that's, a, great I think that's a great entry great, point. Yes, agreed. It's modern, a lot of characters, and so they um, they then chose heroes and villains, heroes versus villains. I'm sorry, um, and then moved on to I think. My friend, independently of her husband, watched Micronesia. I don't think he's watched it. But they are attracted to weird characters um, where she, what did she say? She, she like loves Jason Siska. Oh my God. What's wrong with you? It's so random. I was like, I'm not going to fight you on this. <laughs> I'll let you have that. All right. Well, I mean, he had a memorable exit at least. True, true, true. You know, so you got to be excited about that. She liked that he just like made up the Merge Tribe name. And what was it again? Debo or something yeah. stupid. And he said it was a word or... It, Really similar to no bag, but he claimed it was a word in some language. You know, he doesn't get enough credit for that move. You, know, you think about like moves. Malcolm for that or Boston yeah. Rob. We don't think about Jason Siska nearly enough. Survivor big moves. Here he comes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, how about a little get to know you game? Sure. Two truths and a lie. Okay. You're familiar with the game? Yes, of course. Of course. So you're going to tell I've me. Two, worked with kids. Two things that are true. One thing that's a lie. I will try and figure out what the lie is. Okay. I have broken all ten fingers at once. Okay. I have had a photo taken of myself every single day of my life. Okay. And I have a birthmark the shape of Idaho. Oh my god. These are all so specific and rattled off so quickly. Um, I can't imagine you've had a photo taken of you every single day of your life. Final answer? Final answer. I have. Really? I have, Every yeah. single day every of your life? Every single day, yeah. On purpose? Yes. Tell me more. Yeah, my dad uh, was a graphic artist when he started um, out, like, my dad's actually a college dropout, but um, he was a graphic artist in his 20s. And so I think he has not quite a master plan, but some plan for what they're going to be. But the first ever photos of my mom the day before the C-section. And then every single day there has been taken one of me. And then when I went off to college, I essentially started taking selfies and... So yeah, all these people that are like, I took one on the same day for 40 years. I'm like, try me. All right, so now there's two left, and I have to figure out. So you have a birthmark the shape of Idaho? Correct. And you broke all 10 fingers at once? Correct. You did not break all 10 fingers at once? I did. You did? I did. How did that happen? Um, my grandfather would challenge me to inappropriate things where he... Like um, a break every single finger you yeah. have competition. So you know how when you're a kid you hang by like your knee pits from the monkey bars? Of course. He, um, I'm showing off, you know, like, Grandpa, watch me with this cool trick. I'm in second grade. And he says, you know, Rourke, the real gymnasts hang by their ankles. Not true. Uh, no one does that. That is not a thing that gymnasts do. And so, of course, I tried it, fell, tried to break my fall. I was the new kid in second grade, cast. Uh, it was a great, great look. How long were you in cast? For? I actually don't remember. I don't know, but they were Because you blocked pink. it out because it was all they so were, bad. Yeah. Oh, dreadful. All right, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me who you are, why you're here, all of that good sure. stuff. Sure. So um, I am, I'm 27, the ripe old age. Oh. Um, Bless <laughs> your heart. Exactly. Um, no, I'm from Palo Alto originally, currently residing in Los Angeles. And How accurate is Silicon Valley? 
Oh, it's very accurate. Okay. To the point where a couple friends and I fell off the show for a little bit because we were like, this is too real. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm back in in full force. I think it's hysterical. Um, so you're I, from Palo Alto? Yeah. And the so Survivor premiered when I was a fifth grader, so ten, and our I'm sure many people across the country can identify that with this that our graduation party was themed like Survivors of fifth grade. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh yeah. And so we had to do challenges, and um, in a very millennial twist, um, somebody actually cried during the gross food challenge, which was ambrosia mixed with gummy worms or something like that. So technically, it was fine. It just had a weird texture, and ambrosia is not great. She cried and demanded a trophy because she tried. And did she get it? No. <laughs> All right. At least there's some justice yeah. in the world. Um, and so um, I, I realize this is not a millennial season, but still. So um, the I sort of fell off for a time myself and ended up having to, because I like, didn't have a TV in college, ended up back watching a couple seasons and then have been on ever since. And I just sort of was... So I graduated college early. I never did study abroad. I went instantly to work when everyone was like, travel, enjoy your time. I didn't do it. Yep. And so then I, you know, I've been watching Survivor recently and last February, I was like, these are normal people. I could do this. I totally have the skills to do this. I study psychology. I'm a therapist. I, you know, I have all these skills and a diverse kind of background that I think I could bring to create assets for myself. Like, this could be a really weird, unique study abroad program that I never had. <laughs> right. And, Survivor um, study abroad sounds yeah. like a great program. So here we are. That's awesome. Yeah. So what was what is it about the show that you feel you connect with? What is it about Survivor that really speaks to you? Um, what I think speaks to me most is the um, the psychological aspects, for sure. I mean, I love the physical element. I'm not somebody who fast forwards through the challenges. I definitely know there are those people. Um, and <laughs> not me. <laughs> and um, like, I'm excited for that part. I love um, being physical. Um, I like work out a lot, and that's like a really fun thing for me. Yeah. And um, I love doing, you know, a friend of mine works for one of those like Spartan race companies. And so we, when it came to town, we did it with her. And so I'm super into that, all that crap. Um, but the most interesting part to me is the how you get people to like you, do what you want, while they still think it's what they want, and then they still like you at the end of the day. Like, that is such a complicated equation that, like, it's such an insane tightrope. It's the ultimate sort of test of anybody who believes that they're a people person or outgoing or, like, good at this stuff. Um, that's what really pulls me to it. Cool. So... You're a psychologist? You're a so therapist? So I'm getting a master's of social work currently, and so as a part of that we have field work, and so I'm a therapist at a high school. Awesome. And what drew you to that work? I, um, so I was working in, right after college, I've undergone a major career change. Right after college, I went to be a buyer for Bloomingdale's. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a major career yeah. change. And I was volunteering on the weekends for a great organization that works with students who will be first in their family to attend college. And English is typically not spoken in the home. They don't have a lot of social capital to navigate the process. And, um, it's awesome. You pair with a student when they're a sophomore, age with them and through their senior year and you see them through the whole process and I was so much more excited to completely give away my Saturday to do this than to like show up for my nine to five not to say Bloomingdale's wasn't wonderful for what it was but I was just really much more inspired by what I was doing there and my boss had this sort of work-life balance attitude where he would say we're not curing cancer we're selling clothes go home to your family do what's important to you whatever right and I just kind of thought one day 
that's a great work-life balance attitude. However, what if I wanted to move the needle a little closer to curing cancer? and a little like away from selling clothes and so I spent some time reflecting on what I wanted to do I debated between like a PhD route and now what I'm doing is the MSW master of social work and then I'm gonna get a law degree and do mental health informed law oh cool that's awesome thanks that's really really great thanks how do you feel that translates to survivor so um, I think that the therapy techniques will translate really, really well, um, especially because, so I would say my biggest flaw is I can be a know-it-all and I can be a corrector. Perhaps one day you could even be a know-it-all. <laughs> we'll see, we'll yeah. see. Um, not to usurp anyone's throne. Um, I know how that went with the yeah. mayo jar. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, and so... Um, I think what I will need to rely on is who I am as a therapist, a really active listener, um, someone who can kind of reflect and validate people and how they're doing, take people's temperature really effectively, and instead of coming at them with, trust me, this is a good plan, I swear, because it's the same thing as like, you essentially have to incept people in therapy. You can't say, if somebody has generalized anxiety and they're worried that the Yellowstone super volcano is going to blow you can't just shake them and say I swear to you this isn't going to happen or like I swear to you child your stuffed animal isn't going to wake up in the night and murder you it's not effective you need to especially because there's a real risk with that exactly case. that one she should be afraid yes yes <laughs> and um so yeah when she brought that one to me I was like mm, mm, good I, fear yeah. good fear child <laughs> you, you got it right um wise beyond your ears and so um you really have to like slowly pivot them and you know develop that rapport so that they trust you to pivot them and um, all that stuff is what you have to do on Survivor so I feel like for me the pre-merge is like the rapport building stage of therapy um, where you're just like getting the foundation so that you can make a change. What's the post-merge version of therapy? The post-merge version of therapy would be the like action, the action <laughs> Cutting phase. Cutting the client. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the termination yes, phase. Yes. <laughs> I have to terminate all my clients yes. before coming out here. Um, so that's the termination phase, but um, that would be, I guess, day 39. But um, no, it would be the action phase where you're doing all the little steps to get them to see your way, to see things differently. Um, in that case, and obviously in therapy, you're trying to get them to see in the see things in the best for themselves, but obviously I want them to see what's best for me Yeah. <laughs> um, on Survivor. Have you given thought to twists, themes, all of that stuff? I mean, yes and no. Um, I think that the second you are so rigid in your strategy that you can't accommodate a twist mentally, you're done. Like you si like sign your exit slip. Um, like write your own name, I guess, would be the better phrase. Right. Um, and so I think like, flexibility is key realizing where you are standing at that moment instead of looking back is key uh, my goal is to stay really present and look forward where i can but really never look back the social worker the urologist the probation officer the nurse practitioner the physical therapist, the rock climber. Six more castaways to add to the previously established six heroes, and six more castaways who want nothing more than to avoid the fate of becoming the first one out. Yeah, honestly, everything else seems like I can handle it, I can take this on, but if somehow it gets out of control right off the start and I'm seen as like a big target, that would suck. It's really an RIP situation. It literally has not crossed my mind at all. 
my heart doesn't go out to them. Deuces, you know what I mean? It, one victim down, you know? God, I would hate to be the first person to go home. God, I, yeah. The next, yeah, 38 days, 36 days would be miserable. There's no way I'm going home first. I think that I might be the first person out because if I'm not the first person out, I really think I have a good chance of winning this thing. There are six more players on season 35, all of whom want to avoid that first fateful date with Jeff, and all of whom are sharpening their collective knives as they hustle to beat the healers. When it comes to Cole Metters, we already know what the bellhop Ryan Ulrich thinks. His fellow hustlers are similarly awestruck by Cole's physicality. He's very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> but he took off his shirt the other day, and I mean, he is, you know, he's pretty muscular, you can tell, but when he took off his shirt, I don't know, this doesn't normally happen to me, but I kind of like glanced and I was like, whoa, like, is is that all like real? Like, are you a real human being? Because he's like walking around you like a Greek god. Oh, he's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he is so good looking and, and he knows that he's good looking and he's trying to play it off like he doesn't know that he's good looking and he's trying to be a boy scout, but I know he sees me seeing him. And you know, I'm far from home. It's nice to look at. I'm gonna keep him around. When it comes to Desi Williams, again, intimidation is very much on the mind. She's, wow, yeah. She's one good looking girl and uh, seems very fit. Seems like she might be able to kick my ass. Okay. The legs on her are just like the size of my whole body. Okay, she is the biggest threat here. Okay, why? Triple threat, triple threat. She is the three components of Survivor that I think social physical, strategic, I think she could fulfill every one of those things. And the people who fulfill those the best, I think are set up set up really well. She's just got this really vivacious smile and really welcoming personality. I just think she's, she's a huge threat. When it comes to Jessica Johnston, the hustlers can smell trouble coming a mile away. She's obviously super hot, but I also have a feeling that she's probably like a math teacher or like a physicist because like she is counting constantly. Like you, there's never a time when you see her where she's not inspecting other people and she's trying to lay low, but it's really hard when you're that good looking. Okay, that's like Sunday brunch, right? Like you invite her over to Sunday brunch and she, and she, you know, laughs with your parents, fits in everything. You, you want Sunday brunch, but you don't want Sunday brunch at the end of Survivor with you, right? You don't want to sit next to Sunday brunch. When it comes to Joe Mina, the hustlers have their collective eye on the probation officer, or at least his tattoos. He keeps to himself a lot. Again, he's one of the one of the few that does. Um, he's got a big tattoo of a baby on his arm. Okay, and that's pretty funny. He's got a tattoo of his baby on his arm. How do you not like that? Um, and I like it for a lot of reasons. First, I like it because he's a dad and I love kids. But also, I like it because it shows like a certain lack of judgment, being able to like put all of your business out there and then have people kind of judge you for your business. So I have a feeling that he's going to reveal more than he really wants to. When it comes to Rourke Luskin, there's some debate over the social worker's physical and social abilities. Uh, yeah, she's going to die out here. I think she's probably going to just like trip on something. Like I see her tripping all the time. I don't know if like it's it's an act or whatever, but she definitely doesn't seem to be connecting with either the cool people or the misfits. Oh, uh, she seems really cool. I, I've connected with her very well. I could see her being a part of my alliance easily. Definitely seems genuine. I see trust in her eyes. She seems smart, intelligent, and fairly physical, so I could see her you know, doing well in challenges as well. And when it comes to Dr. Mike, 
Two of the hustlers see reflections of two people who previously played Survivor in Fiji. Millennials vs. Gen X's fourth place finisher, David Wright, and Millennials vs. Gen X's champion, Adam Klein. He reminds me of David. You know, he, he reminds me of that, like, I, I don't like the water, I, I hate the wind, it scares me. But at the, he'll slit your throat at the end of the day, and, you know, that, that's a bit terrifying as well. He kind of reminds me of Adam. You know, the one that kind of runs around, and I'll be on your team, I promise uh, you have my 100% trust. He kind of reminds me of that type of person, um, which is great. you got to have them, too. And, you know, they're the people you want with you. But coming to the end, somebody like that might make a big, blindsided game changer. That's Lauren Rimmer, a fisherman from Beaufort, North Carolina. As Probst mentioned in the very first episode of this podcast, Lauren was one of the players whose occupation helped crystallize the season's theme. Lauren has a lot on the line as she enters Survivor, leaving behind a very physically demanding vocation for a tropical trip that's anything but a vacation. Lauren, a single mother of one, whose daughter means the absolute world to her, confides in me that her single biggest fear heading into Survivor is getting blindsided. Over the course of our pregame conversation, I couldn't shirk the sinking feeling her worst survivor nightmare was just around the corner. My interview with Lauren and the other hustlers is just around the corner. First one out, a Survivor preseason podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Josh Wiggler. That's me! It's a co-production between The Hollywood Reporter and Rob Has a Podcast. Taryn Armstrong is our editor. He is indeed a robot. Credit for the beautiful music in this episode goes to the great Fijian musician Solo and Sato. And credit for the music in our introduction goes to the great Sonia Christopher. The very first one out ever. Thanks once again to Sonia for sharing stories from her Survivor experience on this podcast. Special thanks as well to the team at The Hollywood Reporter for all of their ongoing support. And special thanks once more to Rob Sesternino and the RHAP family for their support. Head to THR.com Survivor for more preseason coverage, including exclusive interviews with the cast members. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Round Howard for bonus videos and photos from my time out on location. Subscribe to Rob Has a Podcast at robhasawebsite.com iTunes to never miss an episode of First One Out and to check out some extra interviews as we work our way up to the new season. Survivor returns September 27th, and this podcast concludes September 28th. Next time on First One Out. Oh my gosh, she's so pretty, I hate her. Well, I do go down the street talking about myself to random people. Sure. This has never happened, not that I know. Shirtless. Yeah. Shoeless. Heck, if I'm allowed to, fucking shirtless. (laughs) Yeah, the no clothes tribe. I think I got half. There's one thing it is true in Survivor is that don't believe what you hear. I'm curious if like her first thought um, is to cut his throat immediately and get rid of the evidence. I think that poor guy looks like Beavis or Butthead. <laughs> I haven't figured out which one yet. <laughs>